Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got a great show for you. Once again, I'm very excited. Steve Carter is going to be joining me in just a minute. I'm looking at his book called The Thing Beneath the Thing. I love that. Um, I uh, took my speed reading class and I read this book in 11 minutes. I remember virtually nothing, but I know he's on the line. We'll be able to tell me about it. And then Dr. Greg Heddington is going to join me in the second half of the hour. We're going to continue our study in the book of John. We're in chapter 15. That'll be excellent. And then hour two, we're going to have Words of the Wise uh, replay with uh, Dr. Millard Erickson, 89 years old. And boy, is he wise. It's going to be a great, a great day. So I'm glad you joined me. Uh, Steve Carter used to be a former lead pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. He's a, uh, today still a pastor and a speaker and an author and a podcaster. He kind of does it all. And Steve, I'm so glad you're with me today. Welcome. Hey, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I was looking at your book thinking... You know, if you and I went to lunch like at Panera and you bought, I bet we'd have a great time. I, I, you know, anytime <laughs> that I get the chance to hang out with a comedian, I would, you got to buy. You got to buy. Yeah, you That's just... Uh, left. Yeah, but your book is... You're just so likable in this book. Uh, right from the beginning, I started to go, I like this guy. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's been a, a work in progress over the last number of years, you know, beginning to become more aware of yourself, you know, and um, the great passage that Paul says, you know, why do I do the things I do? Yeah, the right. good I want to do, I do not do, but the hate, I, the things I hate, I do. Yeah. And I think all of us can can relate to that, and this is my attempt to get after why we do what we do and what to do about it. Yeah, you say in the book that you've been fascinated by this question of why people do regrettable things, or better said, why do I do what I do? So you've already answered that question, which is important, and I, I find that if we don't sit and figure this out, we're going to be in trouble and keep making the same mistakes. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the question is, you know, you, you do what you, you do what you want to do, but the deeper question is, why did I want that? Why, why, what, what, no what was happening that made me actually want to escape in this way or run to this, you know, whether it's socially acceptable or socially unacceptable vice um, but to live outside of who God made me to be. And um, I just think for many of us, it's based around past hurts, and trauma, and wounds that we just haven't had the courage to look at. And hopefully through this book, um, I'll remind people of the gift of God's grace and how we can go after the thing beneath the thing. Yeah, Steve, let, let me read back some of your words from the book. Ultimately, we stay stuck in patterns that aren't best for us because we don't want to do the work to find a better way. Sometimes we do try another way, but only to quit when things, uh, when the when the going gets too hard, too vulnerable, too messy, and we end up right back on our old unhealthy habits. I don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> Seriously, this book has no appeal to anybody. 
<laughs> well, I mean, you you do the show where you talk with people who you know who are just struggling struggling and are being honest for the first time about their recovery journey. Right. And I think for for many of us, we we might not have a recovery journey, but the truth is, we're all addicts. We're all we're all looking to something other than God to soothe. Um, you know, and this is this is in the Hebrew scriptures, and you know, we find in the Old Testament. Moses is on top of the mountain, and the people are like, I don't know where he is. What are we doing? And they take all the gold, and they fashion an idol to place their anxiety right. and their fears on. And, and we do that. I mean, Jeff Bezos at Amazon created the one-click button because he knows that, like, we, he can get people to buy something that they don't need because they're looking to fill some pain with another lawn gnome, which why would you need another lawn gnome? And by the time you realize that you've bought a lawn gnome <laughs> and you try to return it, it's already at your house because that's how quick Amazon is. I know. It's, uh, it's too much. All right, let's talk about THING. Yes. you got a great acronym for THING, and I think this is fantastic. I, wanna, I want you to t- tell us about it. Yeah, so things this acronym that I just kind of discovered, you know, uh, in my prayer time with the Lord and realized that um, the reason I do what I do is often many times throughout the day, T, I get triggered. And the trigger is when is the setup that sets us off. You know, and you get this, Bill, as a comedian. You have a setup to the punchline, mm-hmm. and the, the, the issue is – we like are going through our day and the trigger sets us off and all of that, like negativity, all of that past, all of that energy within us wants to be released somewhere. And I found in 20 years of doing pastoral ministry, people coming into my office, nobody ever says, I want to train wreck my life. And today's the day I'm going to sabotage all the good that God's given to me, but somehow they get triggered and it, it brings to mind a former wound, a former trauma, and they're going to go somewhere. And I, I found that the first place that people go is to a hideout. It's a place to escape their mm-hmm. story, escape their pain. We saw this in Genesis 3, the first game of hide-and-seek in the scriptures. Um, but the second place I found that people go to is insecurity. They get triggered, and they create a false story about themselves. And so they either power down, I'm not good enough. And I'm, a, I'm such a screw up. It's all of the, the lies. They just begin to repeat and repeat and repeat. And so they power down. But sometimes out of insecurity, people power up and they get angry and they try to control the moment. And out of insecurity, out of being triggered, they start being verbally abusive towards other people. Sometimes when people get triggered, they go to hideout. Sometimes insecurities. But the third place I've found that they go is to narratives. And this is what Twitter is all about right now is we are creating false stories about others. Mm-hmm. We get triggered, then it's all those people, every single one of them. And we start to draw lines, and we don't see as God sees. We just see as our pain sees. And then what I've come to realize is that there's an invitation um, of God's goodness and God's grace, and, and grace is the, is, is the fourth place. And John Wesley, he, had, he believed in three stages of grace. And that third stage was sanctifying grace. And that's that ongoing process that makes us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And I think for many of us, we've just been taught that grace is kind of our get-out-of-hell card, but grace is so much more. John Wimber says it's the way in is the way on. And I, I believe the more that I've 
discovers the beauty and the power of grace, it can heal the past, and it can set me free towards what God has in store in the present and in the days to come. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to Steve Carter. He's written a book called The Thing Beneath the Thing, What's Hidden Inside and What God Helps Us Do About It. I'm holding his book in my hand, looking at his uh, picture. He's got a very welcoming smile and above-average hair. And uh, <laughs> Steve, I want to ask you about, in the book, you talk about courageous curiosity. What is that, and how can how can others practice this? Yeah, so, I, you know, whenever I used to get triggered, I was just unaware of it. And I remember one time coming home from work, and I was telling my wife about someone who had just, in a meeting, was just short with me. And to be honest, it just... It, it really bothered me, and I, I was telling my wife, and I was looking for a little spousal support, you know, a little little backup with a yeah. little like, you know, uh, that she'd have my back a little bit. Right. And she just she just responds, and she goes, "Steve, isn't God so kind?" And I'm like, "What do you mean, God's so kind? Like <laughs> this guy is being a jerk." And she said, "God's so kind that He keeps bringing people into your life who remind you of someone who deeply wounded you. Oh boy! And He's giving you a chance to." honor that truth of that pain and really begin to deal with it. But you just have to be courageous and want to go there. And I, I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, part of me wanted to say, get behind me, Satan, you know, don't, don't, don't say that, <laughs> yeah. you know, but she was right. She, the invitation to simply say, Hey, this is, you're triggered because this is about something so much bigger than this little meeting that happened a few hours earlier. This is about something that happened years ago. And the courageous curiosity is to not run away from the feelings or the shame or the pain of what that moment when you're triggered, but it's to get curious and go, what's underneath that? What, what, what happened? Yeah. And, and my counselor, my counselor says, you know, if, if you get his, hysterical about something, it's because it's historical. Um, and if you don't ever deal with that, you will keep reacting and all your reaction is, is a reenactment of the past. And mm-hmm. I just don't want to, I don't want my reactions to be a reenactment. I want my response to be because of what Christ has done in me and for me and through me. Yeah, that's solid. Um, yeah, I love that story you had in the beginning of your book about uh, your, your Jared who was um, who th- whose anxiety was soothed when he injured his leg with a cookie and he couldn't figure out why he had an eating addiction most of his life. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's wild because sometimes when we think of about addiction, we can just think that, you know, it's about opioids or pornography. And, and again, those, those are really dangerous, right. very dangerous, but this, this goes through every arena. I mean, people who are binge watching Netflix, they're escaping something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jared was a guy that came in as a kid who crying and his earliest memories was looking to his mom to be held and his mom was reading the paper, smoking a cigarette, and just handed him a cookie. And two weeks later, came in crying again from being outside and wanted to be held by his mom. And his mom handed him another cookie. And as he started to have that courageous curiosity, he began to recognize that all of his life, the first place he turned wasn't God in his pain or in his sadness, mm-hmm. but it was towards food. And that became his coping mechanism to try and escape those feelings. And the crazy piece about it was, you know, in a moment, in a fleeting moment, food, ice cream, it gave him a fleeting sense of peace, but it didn't make him a person of peace. It didn't help him become 
and, and, and live with, the, with Christ's peace. Um, and so as he began to lean in and discover the thing beneath the thing, um, God began to show him some stuff and grace began to come in and, and really set him free. Mm-hmm. Steve, what's one of the greatest lies we often tell ourselves? I'm not enough. Oh. Or, or I have to, I have to deceive to achieve. You have to, um, I have to deceive to achieve? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think people are like, I can't show up and be fully me um, if, I, if I'm going to be accepted, if I'm going to achieve, if yeah. I'm going to, you know. And so, so kind of like in the whole Jacob story, we, we pretend or we perform, or we try to act like we, we got it all together, um, you know, and little by little, um, we just drift farther and farther away from who God made us to be. Mm-hmm. Steve Carter is my guest. He's a pastor, a speaker, an author, a podcaster, and his book is The Thing Beneath the Thing, What's Hidden Inside and What God Helps Us Do About It. Uh, We've got three copies of Steve's book that he has so generously offered uh, for anyone who wants to get in on this drawing. We only have three copies, so if you'd like to be one of the three, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, just the word book. Text it to 877-933-2484. Be right back. Steve Carter, his uh, book is The Thing Beneath the Thing, What's Hidden Inside, and What God Helps Us Do About It. Uh, Just during the break, I got a text message from a listener, uh, Steve, that said, I can't believe the amazing guests you have on your show. Remarkable. They must be thinking about who's coming up after me. Well, I, I, I did I did say who was going to be on the show. <laughs> but you being my first guest, I'm going to give you the credit. Okay. 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 Yeah. I think I think everyone's in for the for the eighty nine year old dropping wisdom in, in thirty <laughs> minutes, man. I, I'm staying on for that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about identity and how does identity become insecurity? Explain that one. Well, you're going to live with integrity to how you and where you find your identity. You know, so if you find your identity in what you produce, what you do, you're going to live with integrity towards that. If you find your identity in you're not a lo- and not not enough, um, you're going to live with integrity. So identity, finding yourself and seeing yourself as God created and intended you to be, is everything. Because you will live from that place. You will live from that place of unconditional love, or you'll live from that place of shame. But you could quote Bible verses, but it's just going to come out in a judgmental way. Mm-hmm. Um, Shame is what is the motivating, driving factor of your story. Yeah, Steve, you know, there can be a stigma around mental health and Christians that leave people feeling shamed or, or unsupported. Uh, that's really tough. Um, depression, anxiety, all this emotional pain. That's that's not a sin. No, 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 no. I don't believe so, believe so at all. I mean, I think I think even right now we're, we're watching this, you know, even in the Olympics, you know, Simone Biles. And I yeah. had the privilege to get to know her um, a few years back. And, you know, just to think that, you know, when I was 
24. I didn't have Twitter. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have people who had all access and commentary to my life. And, you know, I think in some ways, um, our brains are always on. And I don't know if we were ever intended to have to carry all of the opinions of all of these people who we're never going to actually see face to face, many of them. And so I think some of it is, uh, how are we having proper self-care? Um, to kind of um, really help us live in that true identity of who God made us to be. Um, but for many of us, we are dealing with real anxiety. And, and you know what anxiety is. It just turns our peace into pieces, and we can't manage it all. And it feels so overwhelming. And I know many, many people, and I've had seasons of myself, that I just have to learn to come back and slow it down and remember who I am and who I am in Christ. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're learning things about yourself, which is always encouraging. I love hearing those stories, and I think it helps people. What else have you learned about yourself uh, these days? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I was in a unique situation a few years ago uh, in Chicago. I was a pastor at a church, um, and, you know, we went through a very, very difficult season. Um, and it wasn't regarding me, but, um, with my mentor and I stepped out of my leadership role there. Um, and it was, it was, it was hard. Um, I stepped out cause I felt like, Hey, the church wasn't really doing what I thought it needed to do for, for women who, um, had been abused and they had, they had bravely come forward. But I, I realized something, Bill, like I knew how to achieve, knew how to set goals and achieve, but I didn't have um, the language. I didn't have the space. Um, and real, better said, I didn't create the space to know how to grieve. And I'll never forget, you know, a few months after everything went down, I felt like God woke me up in the middle of the night and just said, go to the desert and wait for instructions. And I didn't think it was literal, um, but I, I just started to get up in the middle of the night, started to journal. And God said, you can't achieve your way out of this trauma. You can only grieve your way through it. And I think I just looked at my life and said, I don't have the muscles for grief. And um, my wife is originally from Arizona. And so when I shared with her what I felt God had spoke to me in the middle of the night, she just teared up and said, I want to go home. And we moved out to the desert. And I, I have been learning so much about myself, learning about how to grieve well, getting more attuned to the thing beneath the thing, and really discovering, um, you know, the desert comes from like that word, the deserted, and you feel like you're in a deserted place, a forgotten place, a forsaken place. And then you realize, now God, God's been with you all along, and His grace is available to you all along. And no matter where you are, He's right there if you'll let Him get to the thing beneath the thing and do what He wants to do. That's what I've been learning in the season, and I'm so passionate about it because I know so many people with good intentions, but um, they're trying to achieve their ways. They're trying to perform their way, pretend their way, please their way, um, when all they need to do is just receive and let God do what God wants to do. Mm-hmm. Steve Carter is my guest, and the, his book is called The Thing Beneath the Thing, and he's given us three copies to give away, so if you want to in the drawing for one of those copies. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Steve, what is one of the what is something someone can do right now to start start on their own journey of this transformation, this spiritual transformation that I know you want people to experience? Yeah, so you know, take that acronym, triggers, hideouts, insecurities, and narratives. And just start with what triggers you? 
like what what makes you scared or fearful or shameful or angry or frustrated just write that down and and get curious get curious about like what what's underneath that when you're out of control um where, what does that make you feel when you, when you feel surprised um why why what, what does that stir inside you be aware of where you tend to go when you get triggered so write down what are your what are the most consistent hideouts you go um, to kind of escape that sadness. Do you go buy something? Do you go look at something? Do you go drink something? Do you go binge watch a show? Um, do you stay busy? What, what, what is it and where is your hideout? Or what are those voices, those insecure voices that begin to kind of play again and again? Write those down. Or when you get triggered, what are the stories you create about another? Begin to write that down because the, the power is in naming it. And the power then comes from getting curious of what started this, what's underneath this, and then to begin to invite God's grace into it. Um, you do that, you will discover a whole new way to live in Christ, and it will truly set you free. Mm-hmm. And is accountability important in this process? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, you know, you need mentors, you need good people in your life that you can say, hey, here's what I'm learning, here's what I'm discovering, here's what triggers me. Um, what triggers you? The more that you have that iron sharpens iron, the better off you'll be. Yeah. Uh, Steve, what, uh, how, and we've only got a couple minutes left, but I'd love for you to just say to all of us what this book has done to change your life. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> Dallas Willard said 10 words, and I had the privilege to hang out with him uh, a number of times before he passed. But Dallas said, grace is opposed to earning but it's never opposed to effort. And I've come to realize um, I love the concept of grace, but to work grace into every arena of my life, into the past, into the hurts, into the wounds, that takes a willingness. That takes an effort. And, and you know, nobody wakes up and goes, today I want to go to the gym. But when you drive away from the gym, you feel a little bit better because you're like, oh, that endorphin high. Mm-hmm. Nobody often wants to look at the pain points and the, and the wounds of their story. But when you have that courageous curiosity and you begin to see God's grace begin to fill in those potholes, um, you, you begin to discover a whole new way to live. And you start making choices that actually are true to you, true to the kingdom of God, and actually um, showcase what Christ would look like if he were you. And I, I just, for me, that, that's what I want people to be able to do is to make better decisions. Decisions that are more connected to their faith. I love it. And Steve, are you? Uh, what, what is the temp temperature today in Arizona? <laughs> it is definitely over a hundred. So it yeah. is. It's a great evangelism strategy. <laughs> you know, you can live here for eternity, or there's a better place. So. <laughs> well, thanks so much. I get to Arizona every once in a while. I'll look you up, and we can go to lunch. I would love it. I'll pay too. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. You bud. bet. You bet. Steve Carter's been my guest, and his book is The Thing Beneath the Thing, What's Hidden Inside and What God Helps Us Do About It. We've got three copies of his book. If you'd like to get in on the drawing, all you have to do is text the word book, that's it, to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll get uh, the drawing happening, I think, uh, in a couple of days, and we'll get the winners their book called The Thing Beneath the Thing. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to dig into John chapter 15 with Dr. Greg Heddington. 
Welcome back. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. I love that verse, and I love studying the word of God with my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington. We've been studying the book of John for a while now, and I've just been loving the study, and I know I've heard from many of you, you are loving it also. So uh, we are going to continue in the study of John in chapter 15 today. And uh, here on our studio line, Dr. Greg Heddington, welcome. Thanks, Bill. We're ready to go. Let's do it. Well, welcome to our study of the Gospel of John. Last time we looked at chapter 16 because I could not find my notes for chapter 15, but I now have found those earlier notes. But don't worry about the two lessons being out of sequence because the discourse that Jesus gives the apostles the day before his crucifixion does not have to follow an exact sequential order because the teachings have eternal implications. So that's a long explanation. Amen. I love it. So the title for John 16, uh, chapter 15 is Abide in Me. And for purposes of definition, whenever Jesus uses the word abide, you can also use the words remain or continue or the Greek word, which in this context literally means to dwell in the Holy Spirit, which all believers have in them. That's the meaning of abide. So if you're taking notes, Roman number one, the vine. Much of this discourse by Jesus takes place in an upper room, which he and his disciples are using for the evening. But we can also imagine them taking a break and walking outside into a garden as Jesus picks up a vine of grapes and says to them, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, a vine dresser is not to be confused with a fashion consultant who might say something like, well, let's see how we can dress these vines today with a correct color scheme. No, a vine dresser, the Greek word is georgos, is the word for a gardener or a farmer, and he would have two goals in order to ensure maximum grape production. First, he removes unfruitful branches, and second, he prunes the remaining branches. In a similar way, there are three types of believers regarding one's fruitfulness. First, there are those who bear no fruit. Second, there are those who bear some fruit. And third, there are those who bear much fruit, as verse 5 says. The apostles and all Jews would be familiar with what Jesus means when he says true worshipers of God are to bear fruit, because the prophet Isaiah described that fruit in Isaiah 5, verse 7, when he says God's people are to provide these two things. First of all, justice for all people, and second, to live a righteous life. So the Jewish nation knows how they are to live and how they are to treat others. The Apostle Paul will later make additions to what it means to bear fruit when he describes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, saying that all believers are to live and demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I know some of you have that memorized. And that's the fruit which all believers are to reflect in order that others may know we are followers of Jesus. Jesus says he is the true vine and tells the apostles that the vine dresser cuts off, in other words, takes away every branch that bears no fruit. Now, the Greek word for cuts off is the Greek word aro, which also means lifts up. Now, this is important. In other words, the emphasis is on the care of the vine by the father. The father lifts up the branches that are not bearing fruit so they may be better exposed to the sun in order that the fruit will develop properly. 
Now, I know we're getting a little agrarian here in this lesson, but it may be unfamiliar to you, but hang in there. Jesus also uses the word prune, as in every branch that does bear some or much fruit, the Father prunes in order that those branches may yield even more fruit. The word prunes has the same Greek word, uh, Greek root as the word for cleans. So Jesus is saying it's necessary for God to clean up his people in order to make them more fruitful. He also says the apostles are already clean because they had heard and believed the spoken word of Jesus. Now, this is not a passage on salvation, which Jesus covered in earlier chapters. This passage is about the requirements of a fruitful life on the part of believers to be a more effective disciple. God may prune, that is, refine us through pain and suffering, and perhaps refine some of the behavior with which we've been involved, because God's intention in this pruning process is to clean us up so we're better representatives of Jesus, that we might live with more power and purpose in life. Now, one of my least favorite verses is Proverbs 3.12, which says, God disciplines those whom he loves. Sometimes I think, Lord, I wish you didn't love me quite so much if this is what I have to go through. And we might blame those difficult times on the enemy, but maybe, just maybe, those problems are originating from our loving God who's trying to get our attention because above all else, he wants us to be more like Jesus. So here's a question. How does one become more like Jesus? The answer John gives is the word abide. Roman numeral two, burned branches. The apostles live in an agrarian culture, so they know that when plants do not produce, then, as verse six says, the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Fire is a common biblical symbol for God's judgments and those who reject the truth. The words thrown into the fire and burn could never refer to those who are true believers. That would conflict with many scriptures, like John 10:28, that says true believers can never be taken from the loving hand of God. So the burned branches refer to people who profess to be followers, but, like Judas, they are not genuine believers. And, like a dead branch, a person without Christ is already spiritually dead and will be judged. Now, let's be really clear about this. God sends no one to hell. Everyone has a choice to make. If someone chooses to live life on their own terms and shows no interest in having a relationship with God in this life, then why would God force that person to have a relationship with him in the next life? Hmm. The choices we make in this life as to whom we serve have eternal consequences. Yet God is sovereign, and yes, he also gives us freedom to make our own choice. There are only two kinds of people ultimately. We either live lives saying, Lord, thy will be done, or God says to us, thy will be done. It will take only a few seconds for a person who's in hell because they decided to serve only themselves before they realize that they made the wrong choices in life. But remember this, we do not have the last word about anyone's life. It is God who makes the final judgment and not us. Remember, none of us deserves the grace of Jesus, but some of us recognize it and live gratefully for the Lord. All people choose whom they will serve, even though we all continue to live it imperfectly. That's just we, the way we are as humans. So in order to 
uh, strengthen the relationship with the Lord, we abide. That is, we stay, we remain, continue, we dwell, we make our home with the Lord just as the Holy Spirit dwells with us. Well, how do we stay close with him? Through prayer, worship, praise, confession, loving others as Jesus did, and then sharing the good news. And when those conditions of spiritual health are met, then we will bear fruit. It's the same with grapes, given the proper climate and and tending. The, the grapes do, do not have to strain to grow, but naturally produce the fruit of the vine. Now, when we see proper conditions in a vineyard, we do, we do not see grapes drying so hard as if, if I hard try hard enough, I think I can, I think I can, I think I'll produce these grapes. No, it's it's a natural process. And when we abide with the Lord, we will naturally also produce the fruit of the Spirit, like those characteristics that Paul mentioned back in Galatians 5.22. However, God is not as interested in what we accomplish for him as he is in what kind of people we will become. Above all else, he wants us to be more like Jesus. Now, over the last number of years, surveys of American parents have shown that they are more interested in their child's professional success than they are in the type of person their child becomes. And that explains why many children are being parented to do whatever it takes to get ahead, whether it's immoral or unethical. But Scripture is unmistakable. God is not as interested in our success as he is in us abiding with him. God is not as interested in us living without problems or suffering as he is our our complete wholeness, regardless of our problems, as we abide with him. Because troubles are just a given in this life. We will have them. Roman numeral three, sharing the good news. As long as I continue to teach scripture, I will never stop emphasizing that we are to share the good news of Jesus through our behavior and through our words. Why? Well, because Jesus commands us to share good news with others. And why wouldn't we? I talk about this a lot in my lessons, but if we are a true believer, one clear indication that we believe is by telling others. Well, how do we do that? Well, there are many ways we can express it, but more than anything else, it's just by verbalizing what a difference Jesus has made in our life. That's evangelism. D.T. Niles famously described it like this. Evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. The way the Apostle Andrew expressed it was by going to his brother named Peter and saying to him, I have found the Messiah. That was Andrew's experience. What has been your experience? What would you tell someone about the difference that Jesus has made in your life? For example, my wife found peace after years of debilitating depression. Personally, I found purpose for life. Share what you have found with someone and tell them you too can have this. That's evangelism. That's becoming good fruit and bearing good fruit. That is also following what Jesus has commanded all believers to do. And remember, in the latest Pew Research survey, with a sample of thousands of random Americans, 78% of those people who admitted they were unchurched people said they would listen to someone who shared what they believed about faith in Christ. And that's very encouraging. Now, I'm going to return to Jesus' command to abide with him a little later. But for now, I want to look at the words of Jesus, starting in verse 18. So, Roman numeral 4, what is the origin of the hatred in the world? 
Well, we know that behind all hatred and evil in the world is Satan, whom Jesus calls the ruler of this world in John 12, 14, and 16. Satan comes from the Greek word satanos, which means adversary. He's also called the devil. In a Greek, it's diabolos, which means accuser. Now, Jesus calls him in John 8, the father of all lies, and says he was a murderer from the beginning. Satan was defeated at the cross and is subservient to God, who will always be sovereign. And yet, and yet, even though he has been defeated, Satan will not give up his murderous influence until he's destroyed at the end of time. So he's defeated, but not destroyed. It's somewhat analogous to June 6, 1944, when the Allied invasion at Normandy, later called D-Day, marked the beginning of the end of World War II in Europe. However, the fighting in Europe continued for another 336 days until the Allies accepted Germany's unconditional surrender on May 8, 1945, which we commemorate as VE Day. But during those 336 days, tens of thousands of people died in war. As for Satan, although he is defeated, he will continue to ruin many lives and take as many POWs as possible until he's not just defeated, but destroyed. And Bill, that takes us to point number five. All right, Greg, if you don't mind, I think I might take a little break right at this juncture as we are studying the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John with Dr. Greg Heddington. We've been in this series for a while. After a very brief break, it'll feel like nothing. We'll be back in the book of John. study in the book of John with Dr. Greg Heddington. We are in chapter 15. The, we know that as the vine and the branches. And uh, Greg, let's move on. I think we're at point number five. All right. Well, we know the origin of hatred in the world comes from Satan. We just talked about that. And we know he is a defeated enemy. So let's look at Roman numeral five, three high-valued targets of Satan's hate. Ooh. When fighting an enemy in war, the military always looks to neutralize the most dangerous leaders on the enemy side. These key leaders are called high-value targets. Satan has three high-value targets whom he's trying to destroy. The first target of his hate was Jesus. As an angel of God, formerly known as Lucifer, but who was thrown out of heaven because of his rebellion against God, Satan had always known the plan that God would provide some way to have communion with his creations. That's us. Satan made his best attempt to destroy Jesus when Jesus was a vulnerable baby, and King Herod was demonically influenced to have every male Jewish baby murdered until the age of two in in Judea, under the age of two in Judea. Okay, well, Satan failed. Later, when Jesus began his ministry, Satan hit Jesus with every temptation he could to appeal to the human side of Jesus. Again, Satan failed. Then Satan thought he had won the war against Jesus when he was crucified on the cross, only to see his victory turn to defeat three days later. Because Satan could not defeat Jesus, he then turned his sights on his next target, and that was to attempt to thwart the followers of Jesus. So the second target of Satan's hate is believers. 
Jesus tells his apostles in verse 20, because they, he's speaking of the unbelieving world, because they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, by the time the apostle John writes this gospel around 95 AD, the Roman emperor Tacitus had already begun his persecution of Christ's followers. The unbelieving world has always had not a dislike, but a hatred toward believers. Well, why? One reason is because when we present a non-believer with the truth and the ugliness of their sin, and of course all sin is ugly, it means we are to, that person is to change the way they're living in order to get right with God. But making a change like that enrages some people who do not want to change because, well, it makes them feel guilty, and their solution to those feelings of guilt is to reject and hate, not what they say, but the messenger himself. For example, think of a motorist who's rushing home from work, and he's delighted to find that traffic is light that particular day. So he decides to take advantage of it by driving 20 miles per hour over the speed limit. When he's pulled over by a policeman's use of a radar detector, he becomes angry, not with himself for breaking the law, but at the officer who has pointed out the fact that he has broken the law as he writes him a ticket for speeding. Now, the point is, we live in a world of relative truth, relative ethics, and relative morality as many people attempt to get away with what they can, not taking responsibility for their own behavior. They must blame someone when they're confronted with truth, so they blame the messenger of the truth. Now, that could be any one of us who brings the message of of Christ. Even though we think we're bringing the good news, liberating news, it's often bad news for some people who ignore the truth. And as Jesus says to his apostles, because you are not of this world, therefore the world hates you. Now, we don't like the word hate, but this is the word Jesus used. The third target of Satan, particular hate. Satan's particular hate is the Jewish race. Ever since God's chosen people began with Abraham in Genesis 12, Satan has tried to wipe out the Jewish race. It began with the Jews who were enslaved for 430 years in Egypt until Moses delivered them. Then, during the 40 years as they made their way to the Promised Land, and even after their arrival, virtually every tribe in the Middle East saw them as enemies and attacked them as the Jews continued their allegiance to their one true God. Well, let's say at least some of the time they were faithful to God. It's sort of like us. We try, sometimes we try, but we often fail miserably. Now, after that time, beginning with the Assyrians in the 800s B.C., Every empire fought and oppressed the Jewish nation, including the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And this continued for the next 16 centuries as numerous countries carried out attempts to wipe out the Jewish population through what's called pogroms, which are systematic attempts to extinguish a race of people from the face of the earth. Many Americans thought such horrible attacks might end when Hitler's final solution, which was so horrendous because it murdered six million Jews in concentration camps, and that would be the end of this hatred, but attempts to destroy Jews still continue to this very day. Extremist hate groups continue to assault minorities throughout the Western world, but with particular hatred toward the Jews. 
Part of Satan's diabolical strategy is that many of these hate groups call themselves Christian, although groups, the, the groups do not demonstrate the characteristics of Jesus. God's chosen people have made mistakes, and some of them are indifferent to God or even atheists, just like us Gentiles. However, the Jews are our spiritual mothers and fathers, and God has never and will never break the covenants he made with the Jewish patriarchs to be his chosen people, whether or not they act like it, because there will always be a remnant which is faithful to God. And God will continue to hold them in a special place in his sovereign plan, even as Jews only make up 1.7% of the American population. And the Jews who have committed to Jesus are known as Messianic Jews, or sometimes called completed Jews. As Christ followers, any time we see mistreatment and hatred toward any group, we are to stand up and speak out against injustice. Now, I am not making a political statement for the left or the right. As someone has said, the world has forgotten in its concern with political left and political right that there is an above and a below. Now, I do want to conclude with four very brief ways to abide in Christ so we can be more faithful to what we are called to do to combat this hatred of the world toward us. They all start with R. It makes it a little bit easier. So in conclusion, Roman numeral six, four very brief ways to abide in Christ. First, first R, is remember. We remind ourselves every day that we are never alone, and that's the presence of Jesus through the Spirit which dwells within us, within all believers. Second, rejoice. We rejoice and thank God every moment of the day that we have access to his power and his wisdom and love through our faith in Jesus as we continue to abide in him. Third, request. We request God's help throughout the day to love others through us and for boldness and clarity to share the gospel. And finally, fourth, renew. We daily renew our commitment to keep in step with the indwelling Holy Spirit so we do not fall back on self-reliance, but pray that his desires will be our desires. So the final question for the lesson is, will we abide in Jesus? Well, that, that is the million-dollar question. God invites us to abide in him, and that is where we find our joy. That's where we find our contentment and our purpose in life. Amen. Yeah. I love this lesson, Greg. I, I, um, is there anything else that we've still have got a couple minutes? Anything else you'd like to add? Um, you, know, you know, Jesus you says in verse 5 that apart from him, we can do nothing. Well, there certainly are some things we can do, like we can wake up on our own, we can eat food, and maybe swim uh, 200 meters. <laughs> Although, frankly, I know I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what Jesus means when he says, apart from him, we can do nothing— is that we can do nothing of eternal value. And that's his point. And that's why we want to remain, we want to abide with him. And Bill, just one more thing. Um, I think Satan doesn't put things in our mind as much as we keep things out of our mind that we already know about the Lord. And, and that's why we pray. That's why we praise. That's why we why we listen to this radio show to get teachings about the Lord. It's keeping things in our mind so they don't just seep out. 
That is such an excellent point. I mean, we want to be trained in uh, biblical knowledge, and then we also want to be reminding ourselves of the truth that we live by this uh, knowledge, and it is the source of our, our hope and our joy. Otherwise, you know, you get a little bit of a fog going, and you start to not remember things as clearly, and that's not good. We don't remember or we just compromise. We just kind of give up, and that is not the answer. Yeah, yeah, so good. I love your handling of this particular chapter because I know it. it's one where people ask a lot of questions when it comes to the the, the vine and the fruit and everything else. Uh, people think that we go out and create fruit, but we're just fruit hangers. God hangs fruit on us. It should just be natural when we've got the Holy Spirit in us. Yeah, so so good. All right, Greg, I appreciate you making a, a consideration and getting us back so we get all of the chapters of John uh, put in order. So I know we skipped a couple, but now we're back on track. This is 15. We'll work hopefully on 16 next time. And uh, in in a matter of time, we'll have the whole thing ready to go. That's great. Yeah. Greg, th- thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Dr. Greg Heddington has been my guest as we have studied the book of John. We'll continue with him till we get through the whole book. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.